Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. This week, I'm joined once again by Dan and Adrian, and we're talking about safe spaces. Yay, safe spaces. We're talking about what people actually mean when they talk about creating a safe space in the office or in a company or on a team, how that's actually achievable, or if it is even achievable. There's a lot of great insight in this conversation from Dan and Adrian about this idea of trying to make places safe for people and how that relates to security. I can't wait for you to hear all of the knowledge that's dropped in this episode. Dan Adrian, how are you gentlemen? Good. Excellent. Thanks. Everybody feeling safe today? I'm so safe. And because I am, because you guys make me feel so safe, I'm here to talk and just thank you. And please keep this up. Please just keep this up. I really want to be here, but I've got some boundaries in place and I only talk to people that really talk to me in a certain way. So I'm not going to tell you what that means, um, but you'll, you'll know I'll evacuate the premises whenever you step over one of my boundaries. So let's continue, but let's continue calmly, please. Thanks. Appreciate that. I don't like the way you said that, Adrian. I'm unfollowing you. Oh, well, fuck <laughs> you, man. Fuck you. <laughs> See, you passive aggressive. I feel secure whether you're passive aggressive or not, and it's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, we're going to talk about safe spaces today. Actually, uh, full transparency, this is the second time we're recording this conversation because yours truly uh, the last time we had this this conversation, I um, completely neglected to push record at the beginning. And so about half hour in to this awesome conversation that is now lost forever, but that's okay. Uh, I realized that I wasn't recording. So we're doing it again. And, and that was uh, rehearsal, man. That was rehearsal. That was rehearsal. I already like the intro better. <laughs> I just want to tell you, I don't feel safe about this because you could not record it and and I could we could once again, be dangled out there and take advantage of us. Hey, Dan, Dan, do you think Chad did it on purpose? I bet, I bet he did it on purpose. I, I don't think he's aware of it, but I, there could be some passive-aggressive stuff going on there. Some Thank sabotage. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I, I love hearing both of you talk about this topic. And there's this, there's this trend. No, this isn't going to be a surprise to anybody. There's a trend out there about creating safe, quote-unquote, safe spaces. And um, as it does, as, as um, business culture always follows social culture, that it's, it's popping up or has been popping up for a while now in, um, in the business realm, in the company realm, in teams, uh, this idea of creating a quote-unquote safe space for people to be in while they're at work. And there's so many things that are um, incongruent or nonsensical about the idea of a safe space. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I really want to dig in and figure out, debunk this, debunk this idea. I believe, and, and I think both of you are on the same page. I believe that there is no such thing as a safe space. There's probably not even such thing as safety as we define it, or as we want to define it, as long as you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. Human I, I think I'm sorry, Chad. Were you Go ahead. No, um, I, I think the, if there's a good intent behind it, sure. Because you know, it's hard to get anything done if people are punitive and running around shaming you and 
and and and you know you get the message that your voice isn't wanted well that can be you know it's no fun at the very mm-hmm. least and can be and one can take that and make up that that's dangerous and then not want to give themselves to the process and so i i really i do want to say in the beginning that while we talk about this we're not saying go out there and be you know jerks and assholes assholes you know uh, but we are saying that yeah, it, it's probably a wise thing to look up and say, you know, what does it mean to be safe? What does that mean to create safety? And and probably there's probably going to be some new language that comes out of this because safety is such an externally oriented thing, right? For me to be safe, you have to be a certain way. Adrian, I don't feel safe unless Adrian listens to what I have to say. Like, like I can't. Like, like if Adrian is not listening somehow, that's an assault on me versus, oh, Adrian's not listening. And I decide how I'm going to relate to that. And, you know, quite frankly, one of the best examples of this, I heard uh, a guy, I can't remember where it was, but somebody speaking, they gave this example. You know, uh, Johnny comes home from school and he's been kicked out of school for teasing the, the, his friends, his, a couple of girls in class. So they sent him home. And and he gets home and, and uh, his mother's yelling at him. She's just livid and upset and can't stand. You know, she's just embarrassed and and she's all over him. And, and the phone rings and she answers and he goes, hello. And it's she goes, oh, uh, Mrs. Johnson, the principal at the school. How are you? And immediately her mood changes. And she talks very calmly and very openly with with uh, the principal that gets off the phone and jumps Johnny again. Right. And, and the point being that we do have control over how we are. Mm-hmm. It's whether it depends on what we're aiming at. Right. And so if somebody's aiming at controlling me, I might feel like it's not safe, but I'm the one who decides how I'm going to relate to that situation. So Johnny could, could be upset. He could shut down. He could find it amusing. Uh, he could. And in this case, one guy said, Johnny said to his mother, did you notice that you weren't yelling at the principal? Could you talk to me this way, that way? Right. Like, could you be that way with me? Which is an interesting way of, of course, that didn't help Johnny's case any, but, but he's making the distinction at a young age, right. That, you know, what you could, you control yourself. You can control how you feel, no matter how somebody's talking to you. And that's very distinct from, being safe or having safety because I know how everybody around me is going to behave because I don't. And at any minute, any one of you uh, human beings are probably the most dangerous animal in the world. At any moment, they can decide to do anything, no matter what their past tells you that that's always possible. And I think as animals, we know that. And I think that's part of what is generating this concern because we are aware of how dangerous we can be. There's something you said, Dan, that I just want to highlight as we begin is like, or, or what I heard you say, at least, is that the idea of safety is, is being, or the safe spaces is being interchangeable with the idea that you're responsible for my feelings. Yes, that's, that, the, that the circumstances are responsible for what I'm experiencing. Other people and what's going on between them is responsible for how I'm feeling. Yeah. I wrote down as, as we're getting started, 
just wrote down this phrase, every culture is a calling. Every culture is a calling. And so it's interesting to put that idea next to this idea of generating a safe space because we're, and so we're going to critique the idea um, of safe spaces. We've got, we've got an agenda on this side, um, which might be helpful because all of the momentum towards safety are what people call safety. So if every, in every culture is a calling, it's, it's just interesting. If that, if that's true, then aiming the culture at safety, what does it say then about the people in the culture? That's a great question. You know, so if I think it, you know, and we'll say it as a we, but it's really ends up coming back to eyes coming back, coming back to individuals that are leading. But if, if I train people that, Hey, you only have to show up and be honest. If you feel safe, what is it? What is What, what am I passively or covertly saying about you? If I'm saying that, oh, I only expect you to show up fully if you feel safe. Well, if that's true, am I saying that, or am I doubling down on the fragility of who you are? You're weak. You're incapable. You can't handle yourself. And when do we as a team need your, your gifts most? We need them when it's most dangerous. When things aren't safe. When things aren't safe. That's when we need the team to be present and standing in a way that's ordering the, the circumstances toward our mission. So, mm. yeah, so in many ways, we're disarming. You know, the idea of being dangerous needs a comeback, right? Because morality is worthless without it. In other words, it's, no, it's not a moral stand if I'm harmless, and good, I can't cause any harm. But if I'm, if I could cause harm, and I'm good, I remember. I think a lot of my grandfather, he walked with a big stick. He was a quiet, big stick kind of guy, and we all knew that that he was. There's a certain danger around Papa, but trusted him immensely because we are aware of his integrity, like like what he was really shooting at. That we are part of the family, and if he's coming after us with that stick, it's probably for a good reason. It's like you see something that's wanted and needed. And, you know, I'll never forget. I, 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 I was working. Yes. He hired me to mow his lawn and basically to make his lawn green. That was his words. So I came over and mowed, mowed, mowed and fertilized and killed everything. And I came back for two weeks later to get the money. And he gave me a swat in the head and said, you know, get out of here. Don't come back here till the lawn's green. So I went home and complained to my dad and said, Papa hit me. And my dad calls my grandfather and comes back in the room and he swats me in the head. And he says, look, he hired you to make the grass green. He didn't hire you to work hard. And I'll never forget that because I thought he hired me to work hard. And I was so proud at working hard, but I hadn't paid attention to the fact that I just killed everything he hired me to make green. So huge lesson going forward, keeping my eye on the ball. I'm wondering, it, you know, I think we've danced around it a little bit when we talk about um, in, in the culture right now, when people talk about safety or safe space, what are they, what are we really trying to get at? Like what is maybe a better question is what is the version of safety that we can get behind? Like what is, if it doesn't mean, you know, if, if, if we're, if we're not into or don't buy into the idea of safe spaces, but we're also saying it doesn't mean you go out and be an asshole what are some guiding principles that allow us to show up in a, in a space that um, 
could satisfy maybe what is wanted when people are, are, when they think they want safety. Does my question make sense? Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, the phrase that comes to mind, I mean, for me and, and part of our, con- of our conviction and our work is that people are, be- are greater than their struggle. Hmm. We all are. That's our conviction as coaches as, as in this work is like you're greater than your struggle. Now, most people aren't, thinking like that at all. They're just really talking about the struggle and how big it is and how bad it is and how hard it is and all that shit. And they're not thinking about how am I greater than this? And part of how that connects to this idea is is part of what's not when, when it, when something occurs to me is not safe, it's actually an ego driven conversation. This is what I posit. Um, is that I'm going to look like I need to be able to confess something or state my idea with a polite version of scrutiny and no personal attacks, please. And let's keep this professional and not personal. And so that's, that's, that's one way to do it. If you want to, that's, and I would just say, that's a very, it's an, it's an inauthentic game for sure. Cause everything's personal. Um, but it's a very small game as well. Cause now all of a sudden we've, we've painted the boundaries of what's allowed in culture. And as the person that is the performer, most of the time, all of us, including the three guys on this podcast and every single person I've met, we blow it on a regular basis. And I'd, I'm, what I'm saying is please provide an environment for me that I can talk about blowing it on a regular basis. And it's not an indictment on me. And that's an irresponsible framework, I say. Because if I've blown it, I, Adrian, blew it. Like there's something else that was more important than keeping my commitment. And we usually don't want to talk about that. So instead it's, can we talk about the breakdown and keep it away from me as a person? And so that's where the fragility is, is that like, I I am my failure. That's the fear is that I am my failure. And so I don't want to get close to that. And that's not even true either, but that's the belief, right? That's all the fraudulent, like I'm a fraud stuff is like, that's the meaning we give it. That's the meaning we give it. It's like, if I talk about my failure, then all of a sudden I am a failure. So I don't want to talk about my failure in a way that's responsible, let alone, do I want to see how I sabotage what I say I love, Mm -hmm. you know, how I do that and what I choose to care about instead of the outcomes, what I choose to care about instead of the culture which is usually self-protection. And, you know, so we want to create an environment where we just talk about symptoms instead of talk about the person that generated the result. And in, and in there lies like some of our core fears as human beings, but that's where we're, where we're aiming at is, uh, can I talk about myself really honestly and how I blow it? And actually, this is where I'm better than my, I'm bigger than my struggle because I've blown it so many times in my life. I obliterated a marriage. I, you know, I I lied and deceived so many people over so many years. And that's not me. I mean, I made those choices, but that was me five and a half years ago. I'm not, I mean, you know, all that capacity is there still, is still there for me, but I'm not that dude. I love that guy. And like, I don't wear it like a condemnation, but so, you know, but as a human being, we're so end up being focused on avoiding condemnation that we don't talk about results in a way that's rigorous and honest. And so we've settled, I say, we've settled for the safety conversation instead of, instead of engaging a, how do I put a button on this? Engaging a type of conversation where we're all, 
<laughs> this will sound severe. We're all dealing with our own mortality in the boardroom. Like we're all going to die. We all blow it. We're all, you know, and if you're in a conversation, you're really talented, you're really smart and you're really stupid and you're really selfish. Like it's just all there. It's, it's really there all at the same time. We're all this mixed bag and we don't want to have that. So instead we paint these, we set up for ourselves this, this beam we must walk on. So we get to avoid those conversations instead of just owning them. Well, I think it's a great definition of integrity. It was being all there, just as you described. Yeah. And, you know, the philosopher Eric Hoffer said, a measure of agitation quickens the soul. And what makes the species, pros species prosper isn't safety, but freedom. And, you know, think about it. Freedom is not safe because people are free to do whatever they may want to do. And so it, it, it actually requires my ability to tame the meaning machine. That's, I see that as kind of the key to being able to navigate the danger, the dangerous waters of freedom, which is where humanity has really shined. When we shine, we shine in that way. We bring all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we put it to work in very dangerous circumstances to bring forth something beautiful, to order the chaos of our lives into some beautiful order that really, you know, releases beauty. And when I think about that, the meaning, I know for me, checking my meaning machine or, you know, like what I'm making up about whatever's going on, that the real danger or the real sense of security actually lives there. Like, what am I making up about this situation that causes me to want to run? What am I making up about this situation that makes me want to attack or protect myself or to withdraw myself, you know, to fight, flight, follow, fool or freeze? What, I, what might I be missing? And if I'm clear about what I'm there to have happen and what it means to me, I'm much more courageous and I'm more dangerous in the sense that I'm going to make a difference and I can miss. And if I miss and I'm dangerous, well, I'm going to hurt because I hurt other people and I hurt what I ultimately wanted to have turn out. And if we can contain that together, I think, you know, as a unit, we become uh, far more potent in the world as an organization. So I think that's really, you know, it's like when we talk about safety and security, We've talked about that before. You, you, I love that distinction you make. That's really the distinction. Am I willing to come? And do I do I control my meaning machine in a way that I it releases me into any circumstance to find possibility that to bring forth what I want, or am I being? Do I hold myself hostage because of what I'm telling myself about what I could possibly lose? I mean, those are. I mean, it comes down to that. To me, that kind of simple internal dialogue or struggle which dog will you feed <laughs> yeah well i think a lot of a lot of the strain um and leaders that we talk to on a regular basis is the the amount of time and significance they give towards how to have a conversation um because they're trying to do this dance and they, they believe as well is that they're responsible for other people's feelings and that they can generate other people's feelings. Not that they can, not that they don't have an impact, because of course they have an impact. Um, but 
you spend a lot of time thinking about how to have a conversation instead of why they're having the conversation and who they are in the conversation and what matters to me in it. And if I, my, all the conflict, I say this to clients all the time. Like when we're talking about a tough conversation they're there to go have, I just say, soak this sucker in vision, you know, like, so soak the content, con the conflict in vision. Like here's, you know, here's why I'm having this conversation. I want to have a tough conversation. Um, or, you know, I want to, you know, even just last night, talk to somebody about a negotiation they're in the middle of. And I just said, just start with, I don't know how to have this with you, but I know there's a conversation I want to have about this thing. So you know, starting by having a conversation about the conversation even first, because then it like sets the framework for it. And like, hey, I love you. I love what we're up to. I want to stay here. I want this to really happen. So that's why I'm here to say this. I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm here because I love those things and I'm committed to those things. So I want to talk about the problem in such a way that we can get to be together in new ways on the backside of this. And because what's the alternative? The alternative is, which is what most people settle for, is this kind of pseudo connection. And the pseudo connection is playing nice, is acting nice. And it's actually um, dishonesty in a really you know, beautiful outfit. And it's like the socially acceptable exterior, but they're not saying what's really there for them because usually they've put it off for a very long time. And now they're at the, at the breaking point. And usually people wait to the breaking point to finally say something. And when they're at the breaking point, they actually do communicate irresponsibly mm-hmm. and they don't have the thoughtfulness and the heart driven um, what's needed from a heart driven perspective, like a people first perspective. They don't do it that way because they've waited so long. It's not about the conversation. It's about how irresponsible they've been in the conversation all the way along the road. So they just double down, triple down on the irresponsibility at the end. And so it ends up being this very abrasive conversation, harsh conversation, um, because they, they, they tried to take the deal that never works. Like as if, and like, I was just talking to a guy this morning about it. Uh, around a conversation he needs to have with somebody that's running uh, his company and realizing now he's really expressing himself. And I said, well, what, what gamble did you take historically that now you're not, now you see isn't working. He says, I used to try to be encourager all the time, encourage, 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 encourage. I said, well, why did you do that? What did you get out of only being encouragement guy? And it was people pleasing. Maybe they won't leave. Maybe they, you know, they'll like me more, all that. And that's the deal. It just doesn't ever work. Like the transaction just doesn't work because you're not getting the core issues. So what people say is safe is usually emotional platitudes. It's, it's, it's this kind of romantic sensation that everybody's nice, but, but niceness doesn't do the trick. Um, Honesty is what does the trick and you can do that heart and with care that's what's usually what's needed it's this both and perspective it's very interesting the root meaning of the word nice is a french word and it means ignorance to ignore right and if you think about it if and i've been around where safe space is really important and i'm not saying yet not be respectful of people i want to keep reinvent because i want if i want to get my message across i want to make sure i'm taking care of and that this person gets i care for them However, if it's all about having a, space, a safe space, ironically, what I have found is that 
what isn't being what isn't a, what one isn't able to say in the space gets said outside the space and undermines the space. Mm-hmm. It becomes gossip, and people don't they begin to become very cynical or skeptical at the very least uh, of what is going on, what's transpiring in this meeting. Because it's inauthentic. That's the thing that keeps coming up for me is safety or this this idea of safety. Um, is an inauthentic idea. It's dishonest. Like you were talking about Adrian. I thought that was like, that was going right down the same lines that I was going down. And so if you have a culture, so many cultures, it's really like fashionable now to say we have an authentic culture. Uh, You can be yourself here. Well, I think the authenticity by nature flies in the face of the idea of safety, because if people are able to be authentic, and actually say what's there for them and, and be what they, you know, be who they want to be. You are going to get into some dangerous ground. There's going to be some conversations that are uncomfortable um, that, you know, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreement. All of that is, you know, all of that is like the nature of what safety is trying to avoid from my perspective, right? Like, can we, can we not have conflict? Can we not have differing opinions? Can we not talk to each other in a way that we just get along? (laughs) The the analogy hits me that, you know, one that the old rabbi used, it's like, if you want to build a, I mean, safety is building a house on sand and, and, you know, so you better watch out. You better make sure it's far from the, far from the tide. You better, you know, um, and it's because the things, the thing is naturally very fragile because safety in that context is very emotionally driven and it's, it's, it's emotionally, it's emotionally gauged, you know? Um, so, which is really, it's, it's really hard to do if I'm trying to communicate, we're trying to take on a huge challenge, um, while we want everybody to feel a certain way all the time. So it's going to be a stilted conversation at best. Um, but you know, the, the, the analogy is you build a house on the sand or do you build a house on, on the rock? So I'm just thinking about like, if, if most of say I'm, I'm thinking about safety in, in two tenses, right? So short-term safety, long-term safety, short-term safety is more like, how do I feel in this moment? And what do I think they think about me and all this kind of how am I feeling here? Or am I actually fully, am I like really loved and accepted? You can't get to really loved and accepted without some real going through a hard time together because it's not tested, right? If people only tell me what I want to hear, they don't really love me. They might like me and adore me, but they won't, don't really love me because I don't know if they're going to be here during hard times. And so it's, if, so to keep drilling and build a culture um, on long-term safety even if we value it that way, what is then, then what's necessary there? It's like, oh, you know, the roots go here deep enough that no matter what storm comes, the house is going to stand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, you know, we talk about fierce advocacy. Well, what, what is that for us? Is I really care about this person. I really want what they want. I'm committed to them. Like you, no matter what, I always tell every client, there's no way you can offend me. You cannot offend me. This, I, I'm unoffendable in this conversation. So say whatever you want to say, give me whatever feedback you want to give me. No problem. I actually love it. If anything's off a little bit, please tell me. Um, 
So I am unoffendable there. And that's, in the, and I, I'm advocating for them and I'm going to do it in a way that's really fierce. I'm going to have conversations that disrupt the rapport on a regular basis. And most leaders don't think about that as a value. They don't think about, this, they don't think about disrupting rapport as a value, as a way to test and build trust in the company. Instead, they do this safety dance. And it's like, I just don't want to get too close and don't want to offend somebody. And, and, and the, so they don't pursue the types of conversations that will generate um, these kind of, go ahead, Dan. The aim, the aim is predictable. Like, I feel safe if I can predict where you're going to be. So I want to become as familiar with you as I can. And I want you to stay within a very predictable pattern so I can feel good with you. And when you break that rapport, you actually break the predictability. But it is, that's what brings us, brings forth or, or reveals possibility because, you know, as, you know, the, the idea that we can become so familiar with something that we can't see what the possibilities are. Because what we're familiar with, if a possibility comes along that doesn't fit the familiarity, it looks like a threat. And so we have a tendency to want to get away from it to maintain that familiarity. So when you break the rapport, you're actually helping people look outside of what's familiar, I think. At least that's what I like to do. And that opens up, you know, the possibility for something unprecedented to occur and to transform what looked like a threat into a possibility because they're willing to be uncomfortable to move in that direction. And then quite frankly, if you think about it, I mean, throughout history, um, there's always been this emphasis on truth and being truthful. Why? Because it's the truth, the honesty, the truth, like the reality that sets us free. That we're able to, like, if I really am in touch with how the physical universe works, I can learn to fly. But if I'm in a fantasy about it, I can never order the universe in a way that I could get off the ground. Right. I mean, that we've proven that. And yeah. so the willingness to be truthful and honest or, you know, which is personally, this is what I'm seeing to find what's true out there. What's real is what actually orders the universe. So if I have a vision that's worth bringing into existence, I want to be connected to what is real about both where I'm at, where you're at, and where what's really going on around us circumstantially with our customers and the market, et cetera. I mean, it's, Reality is very complex, but that's why it requires all of me to be present, right? And if I'm worried about my safety, there's a large part of me that's already in some fantasy that I'm going to be destroyed or annihilated. And I'm trying to prevent that from happening. If you want to yeah. learn to fly, you can't, uh, you can't deny or not want to look at gravity. Yes, you, you, come, you become very close <laughs> to gravity. <laughs> gravity offends me so i'm just gonna uh pretend it's not it. there <laughs> yeah. I, I also wanted to point out adrian you said the phrase uh, safety dance and i think that should be a thing like it should be, i'm guessing like it looked like the hokey pokey or something like that, my but... safety dance <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like that little like a little chipmunk on the um Oh, what is the Caddyshack? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the groundhog. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, Dan, I mean, I was just in this conversation this morning around um, talking with a guy about uh, results in his company. 
and, and they've not hit the results. They said the sales numbers and what they're doing instead of talking about that. And so they have a very big personality conversation right now. Um, and, and my, my point to him was that, you know, we're not truth tellers results are truth tellers. Mm. And, you know, it, and this is why, and it also hits me a conversation I had with a guy a long time ago that his, you know, that his sales numbers were down and he had a really key guy that's involved, like that, that's been around for 15, 20 years, kind of a, maybe even a legend in the, in the, um, in the company and sales numbers were down. And I, and I just said to him a question that was really surprising to him. I said, well, does he want to be here anymore? And he said, oh, of course he does. You know, he's been here 20, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, results are telling us something else. Like, tell me about when he comes into your office, what's he talking about? And the conversation wasn't about the gap between where we are and where we said we'd be. Mm -hmm. It was about how hard the market is and what's not working and blah, 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 blah a justification instead of um, an invitation to really look at the challenge in a new way. And, you know, if he were to have the conversation, which he never did with the person to say, Hey man, it seems like you don't want to be here anymore. That's a, that's a really blunt way of saying it, but results are saying that, you know, and all the conversations around the results are saying that you're like, you know, it seems like you're coasting mm -hmm. and have that type of rigorous conversation with the guy out of potentially offending him. Now I say, if he would have, it's the conversation the guy was dying to have because he's struggling. We always say like a broken commitment's a cry for help. And you know, if someone's struggling, they're not developing, they're not getting the results. Most people come in and have the behavioral conversation with them. They're like, oh, try this strategy, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Instead of saying, hey, how into this are you, man? Are you really connected to these results? Or are you just now doing a job? And because I'm not paying you to like do a job, I'm actually paying you to get this thing done. And I'm here with you to help you see that in a way so that something new can happen for you. And you want to engage more fully than where you are now, because there's something missing for you. And you're spending a lot of time talking about why it's so instead of talking about the gap in you that you don't want to take on. Now, that's not safe if it's about preserving the historical politeness in the relationship, definitely not safe. But I'm saying that conversation is where security comes from. Like, oh shit, my boss cares about me so much. He'll say to me what everybody else is talking about the water cooler. Yeah, and no shit. That's... That, generates, that generates a level of, of security. It's like, oh shit, okay, this guy's got me. He's gonna bring it up. He wants to talk about results because I'm actually paid to get results, which we all are. Um, we all are at the end of the day. We will be gauged against results, but we act like we're gauged against attendance and activity. And we're actually gauged against getting something done. So to, but you have to leave the harbor, the safe harbor of safety, and you really get out there and, 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 and be exposed, even as a leader, like having those. And if someone doesn't want to have a real conversation about what they need, well, there's a future in that, you know? And if, it, if it's that, if it's a culture of preciousness, because that's what usually we call, we, we, we call it safety, but really it's preciousness, it's fragility. Yeah. It's, and it's ego. Instead of saying, hey, man, I'm here to drop my ego and, and really explore the boundaries of my own capacity, which will inquire, require suffering, which will require failure, which will require confessions, will require asking for help I don't want to ask for. It's going to yes. require all that, all that ego death in order to, in order to find out what's, what I'm really capable of. But most leaders won't set that out as a vision for the company. If they did, 
then the safety conversation is just a bullshit thing. Like, who cares about that? I'm not here to be safe. I'm actually here to be unearthed and to, and to be tilled up and be uh, uh, go again and again and again. And it's a, it's a culture of reinvention. But if, you, if it's about making sure the egg doesn't crack, then we'll never reinvent because we're, uh, we're, you know, we're so committed to the previous invention. Too, too fragile. That's right. Yeah. No ship was made to stay in the harbor. That's right. I love that saying. I love this idea that we're that we're landing on around security and and the the distinction between safety and security, and that um, ultimately security is an inside game, right? I mean, there's so much leaders can do in the culture. Probably the number the 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 really the only thing they can do is to exemplify the courage and the bravery that it takes to be secure enough to, to be in the conversation. And that's going to create a culture where others can feel secure in their mess ups, in their wins, in their vulnerabilities, all of that kind of stuff. I love, I love just landing there. Any, any closing thoughts on this conversation as we, as we wind down? Well, I mean, every leader I have, that I work with wants to have high performers. They all say that mm -hmm. they protect the egos of the low performers at such a, at such a level, at such a level, at such a consistency that they're actually saying, Oh, high performance doesn't really matter here. Cause you don't get to like this high performance unless you're willing to take things apart on a regular basis and take a hard look in the mirror on a regular basis. I mean, I don't know if you can, I don't think you can. Maybe you get, maybe it's a fluke. Maybe, you, you know, you operate on your intuition for long enough. I mean, those things can happen, of course. Um, but high performance happens by watching game tape. And to use an athletic example, like in seeing where the gaps are. And I want to know my gaps. And if people aren't oriented to wanting to know the truth, they're never going to keep living into this high performing um, ethic. Yeah, you know? the, the, the tension is, I want to protect my agenda, and 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 the other side is, I want to live in the truth. I want to live in reality, and and a lot of times, reality is an assault on my agenda, or at least a calling calling me out into a new expression of my agenda, at the very least. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Adrian, you said we aren't truth tellers. The real the results are. Yeah. I love that, man. I'm still in that. That's so good. Go for it. Um, well, that's, that's, that's my, so my heart for people. If I capped it here, it's like, um, we know it doesn't work to, um, it's, de it's a decent idea to like aim for honor, which what I would say, instead of safety, go for honor. Like I really honor people's experience. I honor who they are. I really respect them as a person and I get it. And like, that's, that's something that's like, you could feel that that's tangible. And that actually, if, if I honor you, I actually think you can handle the hard stuff. I'm not superior to you. I actually honor you. I'm not better than you. Um, and, and I don't have the answer, but I know the answer is somewhere in the reality of the results. Like if I'm willing to really connect with the results and look at the difference between the disparity between what I said I'd have and what I have, the truth will come to the surface. Truth meaning where I've been in the process, where others have been in the process, what, what I missed, what's wanted and needed, those things emerge from that rigor. So we used to say results don't lie. 
and you either have reasons or results. Yeah. You know? So it's um, if you want resiliency in your culture, you better get used to saying no to safety because those two things don't go together. You can't have a resilient culture, which everybody really wants, right? Want people that are going to get up, face adversity, learn, get better, all that shit. We want that, but we settle for this safety thing. And so, you know, we always, it's in our nature to go after the kind of the, the, the mediocre frameworks that are holding people back. Because people actually want to be resilient as well. We want to believe we're bigger than our struggles um, at our core. So speaking into that, then this is like, hey, we're going to even generate a culture of honor and truth-telling simultaneously. And, and being unap- I would invite people to be unapologetic about that. We're really going to talk about results. Everybody's on the hook here. We're not blaming the market. We're not blaming a team member. We're not blaming anybody else. It's not a blame culture here. We're really always looking internally about what's wanted and needed from me to make a difference. Mm-hmm. That'll break up silos. It generates a culture of advocacy. And if you champion that, if you champion how people blow it and come back instead of just waiting and then tiptoeing around people blowing it, that's just a very different culture. So let's talk about failure quickly and responsibly so that we can do something new. You know, and so that's what I think that's what people are saying. We just settle for the safety thing because it's socially acceptable, um, but it's not real to us. It's not primal to us. It's not really what we want. It's just, you know, what we settle for. So that's our advocacy for folks is like, if you don't know how to do that, we love talking to people about that. We, there's a way to do it with tact and honor and diplomacy. And so it's not like being a jerk. It's not that at all. It's about being committed to the outcome and about being like honest about what we all really want, which is to get the thing done. So, yeah. and be connected while we do it. That's like right. Truly connected. Yeah. So we're comrades together. I mean, that's people stay. If, I mean, people want to, we settle for just having a job, but I say we really want to, we want to give ourselves to work in the context of if I work here, I become the person I'm proud of being, you know, like I, I get better as a person. I am, I'm more like, there's a, like, I, and this is true for me and our work and our team. It's like, I, I, there's more available from Adrian now than there was years ago um, because I keep learning and keep growing and keep, you know, falling, getting up, going again. And, you know, and that's, that's where hope is. And people want to be in those types of environments that we, we settle for having jobs. We want a vocation. We want a calling. Um, and no matter where you are in the, the, the org chart, everybody wants that. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been great. I think round two was just as good. Oh, good. It was as lively, wasn't it? That's for sure. Uh, man, gentlemen, thank you for bringing it today. Thank you for the conversation, the insight. Uh, love it as usual. And um, yeah, just thank you for being here, showing up. Yeah, good to be here. This is a vital conversation. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? 
This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.